electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to a very special West Coast edition of Mad Money. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Most of the time when we come out here to San Francisco, we want to see the future, to marvel and wonderment at new innovations. This is not one of those times. This time we're simply trying to figure out when the losses will stop, when the blood will be staunched. We need to figure out what the heck is wrong out here, because things have changed, and they have changed for the worse. After years of terrific gains, I know what tech is doing to your portfolio. It's crushing you. Oh, you don't want these stocks anymore, right? Texas haters, I've seen it any time since the dot-com collapse. Has the sell gone too far, though? Or is, is this simply a rolling nightmare that's not going to end anytime soon? I mean, that's the question after a solid day, where the Dow gained 197 points, was much lower one time, S&P advanced 0.69%, and the Nasdaq climbed 0.76. It was down horribly when I got up at 2.30 here. Let me ask you something. Is this a real turn, given how low we started today? Or do you think it's just another Phony, baloney bottom. That's what I'm trying to find out. Sure, there's plenty of bad stuff happening in the market. We know the Fed's going to move on Wednesday, probably hitting us within our 75 basis point uh, rate hike. Another whopper. That hurts a ton of industries. We know that short-term interest rates have soared from practically nothing to, to, in the case of the two-year, nearly 4%. Now, that's a much better deal than you can get from almost any dividend stock, especially because you're basically guaranteed to get the principal back. Very different, say, from Verizon with its 6.3% yield or ATT with its nearly 6.6% yield, which seems attractive until you realize that those yields keep soaring higher because the stocks won't stop going lower. Speaking <laughs> of Warner Media, ATT even cut its payout. <laughs> cut it, for heaven's sake. Hey, you know what? That never happens with Treasuries. 
Now, we know that when the two-year Treasury you know, hit, yields 4%, that's actually a good microcosm of what's happening out here. The rampant inflation is eroding the long-term value of equities. We haven't been able to stop it. Sure, commodity inflation has definitely been tamed, but not rent, not electricity, not food, not wages. That's what we're going to drill down on. That means some stocks are going to be worth less because the underlying companies make less money or become less attractive versus bonds. That's especially true for the unprofitable ones. I have been warning against those. Hey, listen, anything that loses money for almost a year, I can't have you buy, even the good ones. I don't care how well they're really doing if they're losing money. I know the odds favor that you'll lose money if you bet on these unprofitable speculative stocks. Think of it like this. They're like when you're dealt a 16 at the blackjack table. Too low to stay, but there just aren't enough cards in the deck that will keep you from going bust if you hit. But then there's other companies, ones that make billions of dollars in profit, not revenues, profits. And those stocks now go down the way a pinball finds its way into the gutter. Will you just kind of flip it away as it happens? These are the ones that we want to find out about. What the heck do they do? What, what do we do with them? That's what I want to know. And I've got some theories. One is that big forces are arrayed against even the best tech companies. Years ago, the smarter ones turbocharged their growth by expanding overseas. Historically, it's been a great move. But now we have an historic shock to the dollar. It just won't stop going up. If you sell a million dollars worth of goods overseas, by the time you get paid in, say, euros, they're only worth $900,000. The currency translation is brutal, and there's no escaping it. That's not the fault of any individual company. It's just that the rest of the world's in even worse shape than we are. Some of the weaknesses is obvious. Europe's engaged in a war, the kind of large-scale conventional war that we thought was a thing of the past. It looks, it, it, just, it looks like just Ukraine versus Russia, but we know it isn't that. Russia's trying to force Europe's hand by cutting off access to cheap energy. The EU has a currency that looks fragile. It looks weak. Our tech companies don't make all little semiconductors that can power a watch or a cam- camera. Some of them, especially the big ones, sell products, especially software, that cost hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars a pop. When you don't know what your energy bill is going to be two times what it was last year, three times what it was, you hold off buying the big products, even once thought to be indispensable software as a service products. It really is that bad in Europe. I think that's a Big part of what we're seeing. When you have the CEO of FedEx come on our show talking about a worldwide recession starting in China, going to Europe, then coming here, these same executives become even more reluctant to buy anything, not just tech, but anything. Who among these companies has products that can transcend this gauntlet? I bet not many. It's not like they're selling sustenance. Nobody's starving if they don't buy products from SAP or Microsoft or HP. They aren't so indispensable that you can't wait a while for an upgrade. So let's just say the first reason these stocks might be going down, the underlying companies make products that their clients can live without an increasingly tough global economy. Second, maybe the darn Fed simply wanted these stocks to come down. Maybe that's what they want. I know it sounds punitive, but the Fed needs to see stocks come down as part of its overall fight against inflation, particularly the speculative stocks. Hey, by the way, particularly the Bitcoin, the crypto, they don't want it to go higher. They want people who've left the workforce to be forced back to their jobs because their retirement savings have been crushed by a sinking stock market. They need the people who left forward voluntarily to come back to work. They need the supply chain to get better, something that was demonstrated tonight is certainly not being fixed when Ford reported a short-term shortfall. The Fed's going to beat wage inflation by any means necessary, which means 
it could get uglier. Let's go back to what that wacky two-year treasury I'm talking about. What is that doing at 4%? 4%. Pretty simple. It's there because smart people are betting that the Fed won't stop at plus 75 basis points on Wednesday. They're betting on many more rate hikes until the Fed funds rate gets to where the two-year is right now. That high rate will ultimately get tons of people back into the workforce, but admit it the wrong way, even if it causes a lot of collateral damage in the process. Third, maybe these companies have just screwed up. One of my favorites, Adobe, just spent $20 billion last week on a company that was valued at $10 billion last year. Got to wonder if it wouldn't have been cheaper just simply to try to replicate the product rather than selling out so much money. No wonder the shareholders don't like it. Now, I happen to think Adobe's a terrific company, but its business has been selling. Maybe it needs this acquisition to jumpstart things. More important, though, does this terrific company with a historic growth rate north of 20%, although lower of late, really deserve to sell at less than 19 times next year's earnings? Isn't that too cheap? Do you think you'll lose money a year from now after the stock's already down more than 50% from its highs? Could the market have been that wrong when Adobe traded at $699 before the Fed decided enough is enough? Is it still too high down here at 296 This is what I'm here to find out. Most important, this is the week of Dreamforce, the celebration of all things full of promise that will help our lives. Mark Benioff, founder and co-CEO of Salesforce.com, brings tens of thousands of people together for this annual get-together, a multi-spired cathedral of learning. Will we find indispensability on the pulpit or tears in the pews as we realize that the Fed and flagging tech just can't inspire us to own stocks, at least not yet? The bottom line. This is where we find out if it's lower for longer or if it's time to recognize that what wasn't indispensable 50% ago is now valuable enough to buy after this brutal sell-off in a brutal week. I think we're getting close, but I'm going to get to the bottom of this so you can make the best decisions that you need to about your money. Let's take some calls. Let's go to uh, Min in Connecticut. Min. Hey, a big booyah, Jim. Listen, I like I, that. I'll I, take a booyah. I'll tell you a San Francisco booyah. What's going on? Yeah, well, I drive by ASML frequently, and I see constant expansion of the office space, overflowing parking lots, hiring signs outside of their building, yet the stock keeps sliding. So would you, is this a buy, a good stock to buy, or would I be better off okay. just buying space for a convenience store next door? Min, here's the problem. It's a great company, but it's not a great stock. It has to get cheaper before you can buy the stock because it's equipment indispensable to make any sort of semiconductors of any higher-end performance. I need to go to Paul in Colorado. Paul. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. This is Paul from Mile High City. Love it. What's up? I'd like to thank you for making me a better investor by you staying positive through the years and helping us operate through these exceptional times. Thank you, because I have to keep you in because this is still the greatest wealth generator. How can I help you? Hey, my stock is RH. PE is reasonable, 11%. It's down year-to-date, 51%. My concern is it's a luxury retailer, and during the high inflation, slow economy, what are your feelings long-term? Is right. this Look, if what Gary Friedman or- has to come on. I mean, we're out here. Gary, if you're watching, I know you're just get over here because you've been making me feel that your stock is too high. I don't like that. You know, I love your company. Ten times earnings. I want to buy RH, but I need the high sign from you, Gary Friedman, CEO. How about Alex in Florida? Alex. First and foremost, we got to start with a blah, 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 booyah. Stutter and booyah, always welcome on the show. Thank you. 
What's Absolutely. going on? My father, my father and I have been listening to you for the past 20 years. We want to thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. I want to ask you about Uber technology. You are key. You are crucial. How can I help? Well, use Uber Eats quite often. It seems a little bit too easy to run the app. Worried a little bit about it. Uber. Opinion, buy, sell, or trade. All right. 31 bucks. You know what? This is exactly what I'm worried about. Uber's losing money right now. I can't recommend the stock. I know it's going to be profitable for next year. Uh, I think 26, 25 is where I can do it. I feel so awful about that. But this is the essence of where we are at this time. I cannot get you in a stock. How about 28, 29? Because I'm very encouraged by how they're doing. But I can't get you in it right here. This is where we find out if it's lower for longer or if it's time to recognize that wasn't indispensable 50% ago. We'll talk about the stock is now valuable enough to buy after this brutal sell-off. That really is the theme of our week. Oh, man, money tonight, after a tough couple of months for the stock, could today's move in Dutch Bros be the energy the stock needs to keep moving higher? I'm checking them in the CL. Then it's not a trip out west without a look at the future of autonomous vehicles. I'm talking to the head of General Motors' autonomous unit, Cruise, to see what innovation is in the pipeline. And from QuickBooks to MailChimp, Intuit is emerging as the champion of small business, and I'm learning more on what's ahead for the company with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer, coming at you from San Francisco. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching 
engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your fried peers from the class of 2021. Hey, but some of these companies are a lot more legitimate than others, and their stocks actually get cheaper as they go down. Take Dutch Bros. That's the Oregon-based coffee shop chain. I talk about them a lot. They came public roughly a year ago. Since then, it's kind of a roller coaster, but I've consistently told you I like it below 40 bucks. And thanks to the recent sell-off, it's back to those levels. Dutch Bros. is actually a profitable company. It's expanding like crazy in a good way. And the last quarter was fun. When the stock pulled back to $20 in May, that was a buying opportunity. Down here at 35 bucks and change, I wonder if you're not getting another chance. So while we're out here on the West Coast, let's check in with Joth Ricky. He's the president and CEO of Dutch Bros. to get a better read on the situation. Mr. Ricky, I am so thrilled to have you on Mad Buddy. Thank you. It's great to have you on the West Coast. Oh, thanks, Joth. Yeah. Now, you, it's hard to describe to people who haven't been to one because it looks like just it's a stand. Yep. But it turns out to be an experience. How is that possible? Well, I, you know, I think it's good old-fashioned service. I mean, I think the, you know, the way that we approach, uh, we talk about making a massive difference one cup at a time. And what that really is is that's about one customer treating them the right way with personal experience. They're not talking through a speaker box. Um, they get a chance to communicate, build a relationship, and create something that we hope lasts for a long time. Now, we know that we have to be bound by the four walls of the spreadsheet when we talk about stocks. So we want to see same-store sales go up, but we also want to see good revenue growth. I think you've given us great revenue growth, mm-hmm. but I am sometimes concerned about same-store sales. How, we, how are we fitting all this in? Well, I think, you know, as we talked about in Q2, Q2 earnings and we continue to see in July and even through August, we're starting to see some improvement in that. Right. So we're seeing the customer come back, seeing traffic levels get better. Um, you know, I think we just went through that blip of that spring where we got impacted by gas prices right. and a lot of other things that were going on. And also, you know, if, if you take the comps we reported in Q2, we were down nine in California on our comp base and we were down one everywhere else. So it's hard to kind of put one headline across the whole thing. Now, when I try to figure out your expansion plan, I look at you as someone who could have 4,000 stores. Mm -hmm. There's no reason not to. But I don't want you to do it too fast. How are you going to be able to do it in a measured way? So we've been been careful. I've talked about a disciplined growth strategy from day one. Um, You know, we've added 23 locations in in July and August. Um, You know, we'll hit the 130 that we put out there. Um, Our pipeline's full for 23, and it's actually almost full for 24. So we feel... The staggered approach, a disciplined approach, expanding into markets the right way, um, building good sales transfer that's positive for the customer and for the customer experience. And we think all that leads to that 4,000 up. Okay, now I need to know about the concept of cold versus hot. Because the last time I was at your place, it would have been heresy to order cold. Mm-hmm. But now 80 percent is cold. How did this happen? It's you know, it's been building. I mean, I think even, you know, I started here over four years ago and it was in the high 60s, low 70s. And I just think you've seen the consumer shift. And two is I think we've embraced it. I mean, I think right. that we our systems have embraced it. Our people have embraced it. We don't mind the 
the customized order, which we find a lot of our customers personalized, like. like. We personalize like, it. We want them to have their drink that they want it their way. And we've seen it more and more. But, yeah, we just tipped over 80%. Wow, that's incredible. Now, when last time you were on, I have used your phrase forever. You said, look, we want the Fed to stop job hopping. We didn't want you want job hop to stop because it's how inflation occurs. Has there been any cessation in job hopping among top management? No, no, not at all. We're very stable uh, top management. We're very stable down to the really the operator level uh, in our markets. Uh, We see a little bit of movement in that manager level. Was it worse a year ago? No, it's stabilized. I think stabilized. that our number, you know, our turnover numbers at 66%, which we feel is a really good number for the industry, and, and we feel like that's the, a really good place to be. Okay, so someone's watching and says, listen, I want a Dutch Bros, because some are managers of mine. What kind of average unit volume do you do? Well, across the system right now, it's about 1.8. Right. Um, so 1.8 average, I think it depends on, you know, we've been in markets for 30 years with small stands as as you know, in Oregon, but we also have some of our newer units, you know, doing north of two million in AUVs. So, and we just opened in Oceanside, California, to um, I believe a record weekend. Really, um, in the thirty-year history, okay. of going into a new market. So we still continue to see great attraction in new markets. I'm glad that California's back. I mean, there was a problem. You, but you're not all the people. Uh, there's people who are uh, trying to make ends meet. And they had to cut back on Dutch Bros. They seem yeah. to be back drinking Dutch Bros. Uh, to them, for the most part, I think you know. In fairness, I mean, traffic's still down. Um, yeah, I think in California, you have a lot of our business in rural markets, right. um, really in the Central Valley. I thought with gasoline lower, no. Nah, but California gas prices are still five forty. I think is the average number recently, and and but you see other states that are down at three ten, three twelve. So. It's hard to put, like I said, it's hard to put a headline across the whole thing. And, Jeff, you've been up front. Dairy's been hard. Mm-hmm. A lot of the costs have been hard. Any, any decline in costs yet? Any stabilization? Stabilization, for sure. Okay. Uh, we haven't seen increases. We've seen, I'd say, slight decreases, um, but definitely some moderation. And you're seeing some slight decreases in building costs. I think less related to COGS, but more related to building costs, as that's another and it's a big element for us as we grow to that 4,000. Now, people have to understand, this is not an overnight success. You guys have been around a yeah. long time. Yeah. This is a story brand. Mm-hmm. So how did you decide to go national with a story brand that really had been a local company for a long time? Yeah, the Borsma family had been curating this amazing concept for basically 27 years. And, and, but as they built into Las Vegas and as they built into Phoenix and as they built into Boise, Idaho, and they built into Denver, uh, there was proof of concept there that had been curated and well done by our people for a long time. And so um, as we looked at the development strategy, we really felt like this is a concept that can travel. It's beverage. Uh, beverage travels right. in every part of the country. Well, that leads me to the last question. Tennessee is not that close to New York. When are you going to give us one? Or maybe the <laughs> Philly people, because you worked in Philly for a while. When are you going to give us one? We oh. want one. This is the I am asking you to put somewhere we are. <laughs> we are working our way north. Uh, we will come up that eastern seaboard, but I am not going to give you a date. And how about the annihilator? Will you let me still have an annihilator? Anytime you want it. Anytime. Yeah, I think that's up to everybody else. <laughs> they want you to have it. <laughs> There's nothing like I am telling you, I'm looking, I'm looking away from you. Look at people at home. If you ever had an annihilator, you'll never go back. John Ricky, <laughs> you, CEO of Dutch Bros. What a terrific company. Thanks so much for coming on Bad Money. Appreciate Everybody's it. back after the break. Coming up. 
cruise into the future. A GM subsidiary is hitting the road to progress. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I love coming out here to San Francisco because it's a chance to check in with the technologies of tomorrow, even when the broader stock market doesn't have much love for anything tech. But innovation never stops. And right now, the most visible new technology in this city is the fleet of self-driving cabs from Cruise, which is GM's autonomous driving subsidiary. These cars have been traversing the streets of San Francisco for a couple of years now although they only started commercial operations in June, making Cruz the first outfit in America to run a driverless ride-hail service. Last week, at an industry conference, they announced their upcoming expansion to Phoenix and Austin. They had a plan to hit $1 billion in revenue by 2025. So have self-driving cars finally arrived? And something indispensable, thank heavens. Let's find out from Kyle Vogt. He's the co-founder and CEO of Cruz. Mr. Vogt, welcome to Mad Money. Kyle, I'd like to think that your vehicles are an eight-year overnight success. Something like that. It's been, it's been a grind, a long slog for sure. Now, but at the same time, I don't think people realize, as you say, the pendulum is shrunk negative, that very pessimistic. It's about to swing like this. I think so. You know, when we uh, put people in one of these cars for the first time, a lot of them are skeptics, naturally. Um, but it's one ride, and they completely flip. They're like, I get it. And, you know, the phrase we hear over and over is childlike joy. It's like Christmas morning well, when you see the future right in front of you. I was going to ask you, because to me it's wonderment. I was thinking about the first time that Howard Schultz said that his, Starbucks would be his third place. And I'm thinking this would be my third place. This is where I'd go between work and home, and I could have my living room. That's exactly what it is. I mean, we're, the, especially the new vehicle we're building, the Origin, it, it, you know, it's this big open space with seats that face each other, and it can be whatever you want. Your living room, it can be your office, or it can just be that escape, you know, when you're getting away from whatever it's causing you stress in the life, but it's, it's your space, which is really cool. And I, I don't want to touch, everyone knows about the safety issue, but the fact is, is that humans are crummy behind the wheel, and robots are real good. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, today, look, we're a society um, that, you know, has become dependent on cars. And we're kind of in this, stuck in a, a rough spot right now because cars still kill 100 people a day in this, in this country. And, um, you know, as I think I'm a great driver. You probably do, too. But we're also texting on our phones. Maybe we're, we're drinking when we shouldn't right. be and, and, and having Well, there's some drink. guy at the wheel. I want to have a private conversation with my wife. That's out. That, too. And so, like, out of the gate, you know, the robots don't have all of those things. So we're starting from a better spot. And these get better over time. Like, each, each week they get a new software update. They get a little smarter. And so... 
we're heading towards a world where basically every uh, car on the road has the reaction time and the driving skill of like Lewis Hamilton. Okay, because what's, what's happening is I see this. Took to 33 months in California. Yeah. Next cities, much faster. The, the adoption's going to be quicker. And in 2025, there's going to be money made. That's right. Yeah, so, you know, we, we, did, we went through the permitting process in California. Took a while. We're getting regulators comfortable uh, with what we're doing, building trust. It's a critical step here. Um, three weeks for our second market. We'll be going live in Phoenix and Austin uh, before the end of this year with our first driverless operation. So it's coming fast. Now, uh, I'm going to talk origin for a second because origin, there, there's an absurd claim, I have to admit, and you can tell me it's not, of a, of a, a vehicle can go a million miles. Yeah. That, that's inconceivable. How is that possible? Uh, well, when you have a fleet vehicle, we're gonna, you know, it's going to be operating maybe up to 20 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So we can afford to spend a little more upfront on this vehicle and make it durable. Most of the time, you're trying to pull mass out of a vehicle. We're putting more in, so it lasts a really long time. And for every origin built, you know, if it lasts close to a million mm-hmm. miles, like our target, you know, other vehicles are going to have to be sighted. You're going to have to buy four or five of those vehicles for every one origin. Right. It's a big difference. Yeah, it's cheaper. Now, one of the things that occurs to me, there was a moment in time when Intel came up with the the first microprocessor, and there was uh, a lot of skeptics saying, wait a second, you're replacing an IBM machine that's the size of this, of this room, and it's kind of ridiculous. You're doing it with this. How are you going to be able to charge $2 million for that? And the answer was, no, it's going to cost 150 I feel the same thing's happening here. People think that you're going to have to charge hundreds of thousands of dollars for these vehicles, but once you get scale and once you get ubiquity, that's false. That's absolutely right. I mean, our approach has been start with really well-equipped vehicles. This is the first time someone's really done driverless cars in major cities. We want them to have all the sensors, all the compute they need. For the origin and the the vehicles that come after that, we're doing all sorts of interesting things like using fewer sensors, uh, consolidating a bunch of different chips around the vehicle into a single chip that we build. And the net result is these are going to get much less expensive and much more affordable to consumers. Now, uh, single chips that you build is very important. There's a lot of uh, vehicles in this country right now who are dependent upon hundreds of chips. And if one isn't there, then it stops. And then there's Tesla, which isn't dependent on anything other than themselves. And they've had none of these problems. So you do want to do, I hesitate to ever compare it to Tesla. And that it's odious. Comparison is odious. We have our mothers tell us that. But the fact is you're trying to do the same thing. Yeah, well, look, I mean, uh, so we are trying to consolidate and have fewer components, fewer chips. That does ease some of the pain of supply chain management. But also, you know, we're, we're a technology company out there, but we're, we have General Motors as a majority investor and, and partner. And so when it comes to supply chain issues, I feel like we've got, you know, the best people in the business working on this to help make sure we can build AVs to keep up with demand. All right, I saved the usual question for last, which is how do you get along with Mary Barr? You're a crazy guy, tech, blah, blah, blah. But just tell me, how sick are you to that question? Oh, no, she's great. I mean, we, have the, we want the same thing. In the future, we want right. less car accidents. We want to build the future of transportation. We want General Motors to be leading the way. People and, don't know uh, that she's amazing. She's really good. And she's been really supportive. Like, what we're doing is a big bet. And to have, you know, someone with a conviction to stand behind us through these, these uh, you know, all the challenges of rolling out something as transformative and, and kind of surprising as driverless cars is a big deal. You know, she's, she's a real visionary about this. Now, the last thing I need to know is, who's, who's, what are the roadblocks? Who doesn't want this? Who can try to stop you? Um, because to me, the stuff that you're putting out says, get out of my way. It's happening. It's happening much faster than you realize. Yeah, well, you have to realize we, have, we just turned a corner because for the last eight years, as you said, technology has been the big bottleneck. Right. There, was, there was no product before the technology works. Now that we've proven it can work uh, pretty well in, in a major U.S. city like San Francisco, it's about scale. 
And so the problem shift to, you know, our city is ready. Have we had conversations right. with law enforcement? We work closely with them, local regulators um, and the general public. We need, you know, to build trust and show that these products deliver, um, you know, what they say, what we say they will. But you're not claiming there's no save lives claim, there's, but there is safety. Yeah, I think, as I said, over time, these are going to be much, much safer than humans. Right. And I think, like, you know, if we compare to you and me, we're going to make mistakes that the right. robots won't make. And well, okay. so it's inevitable that we get there. Would we have ever, if we knew we had this technology, would we ever have let humans behind the wheel? If we had a choice, I, I don't think we would. There we go. That's Kyle Vogt. He's co-founder, CEO of Cruise. Congratulations on everything you've done. Thanks, Jim. Coming up, they put their back into it. Why moving beyond taxes is just one part of this company's strategy. Next. This has been a horrific year for all things software. But some of the higher quality ones have come down to levels that seem, I don't know, uh, let's call them downright absurd. Take Intuit, the business software company behind QuickBooks, TurboTax, Credit Karma, and MailChimp that I always praise because I've been a customer. There's a lot of concern about how this small business-focused company will hold up during a recession. But man, the stock's already down more than 40% from the highs. What are we waiting for? Plus, when Intuit reported its most recent quarter, the numbers came in comfortably ahead of expectations. Great full-year forecast to boot. Since then, though, the stock's pulled back with the rest of the market, and now you're getting that quarter for free. Has it come down enough already? While we're out here in San Francisco, let's take a closer look with Susan Godarzi. He's the president and CEO of Intuit, a company I like very much, to get a sense of how this company can do in an increasingly tough environment. Susan, welcome to the back to Mad Money, but in person. Thank you so much for having me. It is great to see you in yes. person. All right. Now, I said at the beginning of the show that we're trying to figure out whether stocks are down because the companies are doing poorly or stocks are down because the market's been tough. Your company is doing exceptionally well. You've got consistent growth. You've got rising gross margin. And yet it's going down like the rest of them. So my conclusion is maybe there are some stocks being thrown away with the bathwater. Well, you know, I am uh, I'm not on Wall Street like you are, my friend, uh, but I love the consumers and small businesses uh, that we serve. And uh, and knock on wood, our business has been uh, very healthy. I mean, with this past year. Uh, we grew almost uh, $13 billion, uh, nearly you know, 24%. And by the way, that excludes our acquisition. That's actually inorganic. Our margins are, are expanding. And, and it's really because we, you know, we are a platform company. We're mission critical uh, for those that we serve. Well, let's go over that because, it, again, I hate to be so self-referential, but I said that a lot of companies, we don't really need the product. Uh, as a small business person, I look at your company the other way. I need your product because I don't want to do the stuff that you do. That seems mission critical to me. Well, it's exactly as you said, you know, 80, about 50% of the company is actually small business. 80% of uh, the business is actually subscription. And we're mission critical. We help you grow your business. We help you manage your, your cash flow. I, I was at the Goldman Sachs conference last week and I got this question a lot. What I shared was, you know, we're not a line item uh, on your expenses. Small businesses don't go and scratching us out. They rely on us to be able to grow their customer base, to be able to feel their success, which is why we're experiencing the success that we are. All right. Well, let's talk about something where it did disturb me. Uh, I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, MailChimp, you talked about how uh, you bought this company and you paused it a little bit, uh, your spend on it, because it wasn't sure whether you were doing it right. Have you fixed it? Short answer is yes, we are. Uh, first and foremost, I'll start with, you know, we love MailChimp and QuickBooks together because now we have in one place a platform 
that a small business can rely on to be able to grow their customer base, to be able to market to new customers and to be able to manage their cash flow. And really what we did was focus on three things. One, we're bringing the platforms together. We're focused on mid-market and we're doubling down on international. And for the first few months, we really wanted to focus on conversion. And that's really what we've been focusing on. And we're ready for busy season and we couldn't be more excited. And OK, so Credit Karma has been a huge hit. I think that there are a lot of people in New York, the Wall Street people who make a lot of money. They ever heard of Credit Karma. But when you speak to anybody, especially people who are just, you know, two, three, four years out of school, they check, Credit Karma is indispensable to their lives. It is. Well, we have over 100 million people that use Credit Karma. And so what do they do with it? They, in essence, build their credit score. They check their credit score. We use their information with their permission and connect them to financial products that are perfect for them, credit cards, loans, uh, insurance. And the other side of it is we actually now are helping them with managing uh, their money. So it is in one place with Credit Karma, and now we're integrating TurboTax as part of Credit Karma. You can manage your financials all in one place. All right, so let's take a step further, given the fact that you have a trusted brand. When I was... uh in running the restaurant. My wife is now in a liquor company business. You can't run a restaurant. I wanted into it at the register. I wanted you point of sale. I wanted you doing my uh, all my tickets with labor. But it stopped at the bookkeeping. When will you become the platform that is the only one that I have to deal with? Well, you know, first of all, that is really what we're trying to do with MailChimp and QuickBooks. In, okay. one, in one place, we can help you grow your business and run your business. And we're an open platform, Jim. And so that means that it's not just our apps on our platform. We have a, an app store with well over 400 apps. And so if you're a liquor shop, if you're a restaurant, mm-hmm. if you're a plumber, if you're a landscaper, if there are apps that you need that is not within QuickBooks, you go to our app store, you download it, and it becomes part of the platform. And it really helps you in one place really feel your well, success. We want more than what you have, but you can give us that. Now, two trillion receipts, what kind of number is that? That seems crazy. Yeah, so we have two trillion invoices that we manage on our platform, (laughs) and that's really money in and money out. And if you can imagine making sure that we can instantly provide that money, those two trillion dollars of invoices in the pockets of small businesses instantly, that helps with cash flow, and that's really our objective with QuickBooks. It's all about cash flow. If I think something's complicated, it's a tax problem. It's likely that you don't. Well, we love taxes, uh, and whether it's for a small business or w- whether it's with a consumer, which is why, by the way, we've shifted to now you get access to an expert um, on our platform right. in one place, whether you're a small business or a consumer. If you want to run your small business, if you want to get your taxes done on a click of a button, an expert will come to you on the platform and help you make decisions. Taxes, deductions, buy inventory, hire employees, all in one place. It's called our live platform. We're excited about it. Okay, so when you put it all together, uh, you have a unique view of small business. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the economy for a second. Mm. There are a lot of people who believe that the Fed is trying to choke off business in order to be able to stop inflation. Is there a level where you think that your business is going to have to slow if the Fed keeps tight? Well, let's start with what we see. Okay. Uh, in our, on our platform, we actually see consumer spending. Uh, we see the number of employees that Better small businesses hire. Better than a lot of hire. other entities. Yeah. We actually see the number of hours that employees have worked. Okay. We see account flat balances, and we can see the trend line. And so, so how when, are they? How are so they? when we look at those elements now versus even pre-pandemic, they're actually quite healthy. Now, they're healthy because unemployment is low. Right. Cash balances have generally been uh, strong for consumers um, along these uh, times. Now, but inflation is real. I mean, people are paying more for food. They're paying more for gas. They're paying more uh, for rent. 
The reality is we do need to get this environment under control. We just have to be very thoughtful in how we do it so that we don't go from the strong unemployment that we have to high unemployment, because that ultimately is what impacts consumer well, spending. I, we always were able to look at our expenses through you, I, and they were under control. I, I look at expenses in the last year, and they're not under control. Uh, there are obviously are other businesses that feel that way. At what point is it, it, do people just put up the white flag? Well, let me just talk about what we do on our, on our platform, because the, the key is exactly the issue that you articulated, which is 50% of small businesses go out of business after five years because they hit a wall. So what we try to do is actually help small businesses with, hey, Jim, uh, your sales are strong. You should buy more inventory. Or, hey, Jim, your sales are not strong. We suggest that you pull back on inventory. We suggest that you don't hire any more employees. So our focus is giving you insights so that you can actually manage your cash flow. You can manage your customers in tough times. And that's really our goal. And I think as, as we work through um, the rising interest rates, I think the key is going to be helping consumers and helping small businesses really manage their cash flow. And that's key for us. Oh, that is... That is exactly what we need from someone, and it's you. Sasan Gadarzi, CEO of Intuit, INTU. I have liked this stock. It's been tough, but it's been tough with so many good companies. We have money back in. So great to see you. Thank you. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? The lightning round comes about to start with Pat, California. Pat! Oh, Pat, this is Pat. Thanks, Jim. I'm calling to ask your thoughts on uh, Mara, M A R A, which has been a big winner for me, but I'm concerned about holding it at this point as Ethereum changes from PRW to PRS. Okay. I mean, look, look. This is a, a company. I mean, look. It's a, just a speculative company. It's based on blockchain, and Bitcoin. I'm not going to have anything to do with it, frankly. I'm sorry. I just want nothing to do with it. Uh, let's go to Joe in Connecticut. Joe. Hi, Jim. How are you today? I am good, Joe. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Better now that I'm talking to you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm a huge fan of the show, and I, I just want to hear your thoughts on Matterport. Uh, it's a very interesting company, and what they do is, at least in 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 uh, in in theory, it's very interesting. So I'd like to hear what you what you think. Well, about I, that. I know what they do, and I'd rather be in HP, which just hadn't gotten along far enough in 3D, but eventually will. This company's losing too much money for recommending the show. How about Mark and I? Mark. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Mark. How about you? Well, I'm looking at the green side today. Yes, we finally so got one. <laughs> hey, I'm um, calling about a. Uh, beaten up medical device stock. I know from the club meetings that uh, the medical, the healthcare could be a good place to be. They have devices for mapping the heart during surgeries. They monitor vital signs and they even have stuff for diabetes. And But right now they seem to be going through a rough patch in quality control and stuff. Uh, where do you stand on, the, on MDT? Well, I got to tell you, and you're a member of the club, you know how I feel. These guys have lost their way. I think it's really a tough thing to make a judgment about Medtronic that way because I love the company for years, but they are not executing up to your or my standards. Let's go to Daniel in New York. Daniel. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. 
The stock I'm calling about is a high dividend payer with five and a quarter percent yield that you recommended a while ago. It just got a big downgrade on Friday and fell over 10 percent. You think I should buy, sell, or hold international paper, ticker IP? Okay, international father used to sell line of board for international paper and craft paper. I got to tell you, once that starts rolling over, it rolls over big. I do not want you to touch that stock. Vince in New York. Vince. Jim, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing well. How about you, Vince? What's happening? Stanley Black and Decker, SWK, one of my all-time favorites, nearing a 52-week low, coming off a 53% decrease from the beginning of the year. I wanted to know how you're feeling about it. I that. think you could easily go down another 10% if you're willing to accept that, then I think you're absolutely fine. Kibra in Texas, Kibra. Hello, yes. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, thank you. Well, I want uh, to go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're you. That's cool. Floor, what's up? I wanted to ask you, my name is Cedric Johnson from Dallas, Texas, and I wanted to ask you, would Kellogg be a great... I like Kellogg. They're breaking up. They're creating a lot of value. It's been years since I thought they would do that, and they're doing it right now, so I'm a buyer in that. Ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, winter is coming. Where will energy prices go when the wind starts to blow? Next. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. Natural gas prices are skyrocketing here because America's energy complex has been just stretched to the breaking point. That matters because nat gas is a big part of the inflation basket the Fed chief Jay Powell's watching like a hawk. Higher energy prices mean he has more reason to continue this relentless series of rate hikes. Unfortunately, just like wage inflation, where we simply don't have enough people to get the labor market to cool down, we don't have enough natural gas to bring prices down 50% to where they were just a year ago. Now, that might surprise you because we're supposed to be sitting on at least a century's worth of natural gas reserves in the country. We're supposed to have enough of this stuff to totally replace coal, even as we send our surplus to Europe. So how the heck do we have a shortage? Here's the thing. Yes, we absolutely have enormous amounts of natural gas in the ground. When Sharif Suki, the godfather of liquefied natural gas exports, the man who built Chenier Energy and is now building Tellurian, tells us that we can take care both of ourselves and Europe, then I think that's true in the long run. I was quite taken by Sharif's assertion because he's been dead right on natural gas for years, even if his predictions sometimes take a while to play out. Tellurian is too speculative for my chapel trust, but if you're a younger investor who can afford to take more risk, You've got my blessing. Bye, bye, bye. But we've got so much of this stuff. Why am I worried that natural gas prices won't come down dramatically anytime soon? Because it's not enough to have this stuff in the ground. You need the infrastructure to take it where it's needed. Today, Rusty Brazil, our go-to fossil fuel expert, posted something on his RBN Energy blog. 
Natural gas, like any commodity, is subject to supply and demand. And its use jumped 21% year over year. 21%. I mean, that's crazy. No one was ready for that. A lot of it was from a big increase in electricity use, but not all. We now get 44% of our electricity generation from natural gas. That's up from 38% last year, in part because coal became too expensive and in part because liquefied natural gas shipments to Europe. In addition, there were some issues with nuclear power plants that took nuclear from 19 to 18%. But you know what I thought was the most cogent? Wind power. Something our government spent billions on. Wind power dropped from 8.5% to 7% of the complete amalgam. Why did it fall? Because wind relies on nature. And unfortunately, it just wasn't windy enough. You can't make more wind when you need more power. Solar didn't fail us the same way, but it didn't grow much either, going from 2.9% to 3.1%. Not much considering the scale of the investment here, is it? In other words, when it comes to powering our country, we're stuck with natural gas for the foreseeable future. So we have to learn how to get it out of the ground faster and cleaner. And our government needs to make it easier to build pipelines or else our electric bills will stay elevated for ages. Too bad the current White House wants more wind and solar while disdaining that gas. That leaves us with two ways to get the price of power down. Either we hope for temperate weather or companies need to shut down reducing the demand for electricity. You know, I personally would prefer the former, but unless we get a national pipeline built out, the only other solution to this kind of energy inflation is the Fed causing a wave of bankruptcies. Otherwise, we're going to just have to live with it. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you. Right here on Mad Money, I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow for San Francisco. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.